I'd like to share with you today and why the Brothers Network exists 10 years into it is because when I wrote our first grant proposal, I wrote our first grant proposal to the Delaware Valley Legacy Fund to fund the book club um, because they were interested in racial equity initiatives using the arts and culture to do that. Again, the person who was making the decision about whether or not we get the grant said it was a good idea, black men getting together, getting together to read and discuss books by black authors. But she also told me that it would never work because black men don't read. Mm. I'm Flood the Drummer, and you're listening to Drumming for Justice. What's up, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to Drumming for Justice. It's October 3rd, 2018. In just nine days, the Brothers Network, a globally recognized Philadelphia-based art and culture nonprofit organization, will celebrate its 10th year anniversary with a rooftop five-course meal, award ceremony, and an opening night performance of Sweat at the Philadelphia Theater Company's Suzanne Roberts Theater. All of it is taking place this Friday, October 12th, beginning at 5 p.m. with a black tie gala along the Avenue of the Arts. And yes, tickets are still available. I'm pleased to announce that I, along with Philly hip-hop legend Dice Raw and Evan Inatome, the founder of Elixir Coffee Shop, that's a Center City-based coffee shop, will be receiving the Brothers Network Innovation Award. I want to see you all on the 12th, so get your tickets now, like right now, meaning put this podcast on pause and visit brothersnetwork.wedid.it. That's brothersnetwork.wedid.it to buy your tickets. Suggested donation is only $200. The Brothers Network is a nonprofit organization, so your donations are tax deductible. Today, I caught up with Gregory Walker, founder of the Brothers Network, and we discussed how the organization got started, the challenges he's faced over the last decade, and what he thinks his legacy is. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Gregory Walker, welcome back to the Drumming for Justice podcast. How are you, sir? I am very good. It's a pleasure to be with you today, Chris, uh, here on the Avenue of the Arts. Yeah, so why don't you tell our listeners, I mean, I gave them a little peek in in the intro, but why are you and I here on the Avenue of the Arts on the balcony of the Cambria Hotel? Well... This is where we're recording. I I think that it's important to recognize the Avenue of the Arts, and I also think to recognize the balcony, because we're slightly above the Avenue of the Arts, Mm. because... The Brothers Network, as you all may or may not know, is celebrating its 10th anniversary. Many of our programs and activities and events have centered on the Avenue of the Arts and more importantly are centered in the arts and art world. So this is an appropriate place for us to be and slightly above because the Brothers Network, quite frankly, is slightly above. This is our 10th anniversary. So take me back 10 years ago, 2008. The landscape was politically a little different. You had the first black president being elected or about to be elected. What were some of the other social and political contexts that you found, uh, you know, surrounding the creation of this organization? Well, I think it really goes beyond uh, the election of President Barack Obama. As many of your listeners know, I am not from the city of Philadelphia, but I'm from Connecticut. 
where I grew up and went on to college and university. And then I lived in six other cities in the country before arriving in Philadelphia. And what struck me most in the city of brotherly love was the irony of that almost no love here in the city of brotherly love. Uh, as I moved to, to Philadelphia in and around Center City, I saw that at five o'clock almost all of the African-American men would disappear from the streets, right? They were gone. When I would go to the ballet, they weren't there. When I would go to the symphony, they were not there, or we were not there, I should say. Maybe one or two, and I literally would run over to them and say, hey, can you be my friend? Hey, will you go to this event with me? Hey, can we engage in discourse and dialogue around the arts and our blackness in a way that that drives uh, this community and, and really society forward? So it was less about Barack Obama, right, which I thought was pivotal, but it was more about what was happening on the day-to-day -day in the streets of Philadelphia, right? And particularly in along the Avenue of the Arts, where I saw black men, quite frankly, being absent. So for our listeners who are not in Philadelphia, explain the Avenue of the Arts. What, what In other cities, what would it be similar to? Is it, is it the equivalent of New York's Broadway? Uh, Philadelphia is unique in so many ways, and that <laughs> is a way, in fact, that uh, it, the, the Avenue of the Arts was... Uh, put into motion by the former uh, mayor and then former governor, Ed Rendell, and um, to really bring together this idea of arts and culture in one particular street. So it's the main sort of thoroughfare. Uh, I don't think there's any way to compare uh, the city, the Avenue of the Arts with Broadway in New York. That would be an uneven parallel, quite frankly. Yeah, uh, but it is where people find the majority of the theaters and art and culture organizations or opportunities. I, I would say there's a fair amount here. I think what's unique about Philly, and that's one of the things that we at the Brothers Network have been brilliant about, is branching out those artistic opportunities off of the Avenue of the Arts as well as on the Avenue of the Arts. But the symphony is here, yes. Right. The ballet is here, yes. The Kimmel Center. Uh, the Kimmel Center for Performing Arts is here, absolutely. The Suzanne Roberts Theater is here, which is uh, one of our partners for a very, very long time. Uh, so yes, there are major institutions along the Avenue of the Arts, but it is not inclusive of, of everything that exists here in the city of Philadelphia. But the majority of your program does happen, though, on the Avenue of the Arts or in, in Center City. I mean, that's done, uh, I assume, intentionally, right? Well, I think that the Center City location allows people full access to it, so by subway, by bus, by train, by car. And so we did want to be intentional in what we do in centering what we do on the Avenue of the Arts and in and around Center City. Absolutely. We like to boast that we have members from nearly every zip code in the city of Philadelphia and obviously beyond Philadelphia, but it is important to be in a central location. We also have uh, provided programming in coffee shops and, and small little venues that people may have forgotten about, like, like a coffee shop. Uh, playing on the idea of the Harlem Renaissance, where those salons would take place in people's homes and or in a, in a cafe type setting. And so we've done that as well here in Philadelphia. So for people, and you know, I, I don't like to assume that people, that's one of the things that you and I have learned is not to assume that everybody is as cultured as the next person, right? So for those who are not familiar with the Harlem Renaissance, for those who think it's a development uh, rehab, <laughs> rehab in homes in Harlem, tell people 60 seconds or less, what is the Harlem Renaissance and, and how do you draw parallels to that work? Well, first, I want to make make uh, make your joke clear. I had applied for funding. The Brothers Network had applied for funding, and the funder uh, misunderstood when we talked about uh, putting, uh, bringing back and resurrecting the Harlem Renaissance in multiple cities. One of the funders flat out said, "Well, what are you going to be doing? How are you going to do 
moved from arts and culture to rehabbing homes in Harlem, <laughs> New York. And so it, it has been a running joke for those of us who uh, know about that. While we were very appreciative of the opportunity um, to, to, to engage in that funding opportunity, but it was clear that many people, not only in the arts or in philanthropy or everyday citizens, are quite frankly unfamiliar with the historical and cultural movement that is known as the Harlem Renaissance, which took place in the 1920s. And it did exactly what the Brothers Network is doing. Uh, it gave a framework for how and what uh, art and intellect can look like uh, for black people and also gave black people, the Harlem Renaissance did, ideas about how they can structure their lives and be really pluralistic in their lives and their experiences. And the Harlem Renaissance and its uh, artists and contributors really framed that for, for black people and really the larger society in 1920. The Brothers Network is slightly different because we focus specifically on how that frame can look and be broad for specifically African-American men. In the 1920s, we didn't have as many people being shot by police um, unnecessarily or without cause, or we didn't have as many African-American men being shot by police in their home while they were just sitting there minding their own business. So we really set out not to use the Brothers Network as a protest, but really to inform and engage and enlighten everyday citizens about the brilliance of who and what African-American men are, have been, and continue to be through the lens of arts and culture. We have created our own model, which is a, the uh, a theory of change, and we have used that and evaluated how people now see African-American men more broadly. Our goal is to ensure that people around the world can look at the multiplicity of identity as it relates to men who are black uh, and brown and any other sort of idea that is not sort of narrowly defined. We want people to recognize uh, who we are. When you see a young black man walking down the street, let's assume he's a playwright and not a thug. Mm. Let's assume he's a college student and not someone who's going to a parole board hearing, right? Because the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, there are more African-American men in college and university in this country than involved in the criminal justice system. I want to say that again. There are more African-American men involved in colleges and university matriculating than there are involved in the criminal justice system. I mean, you said that you're, you're, not, a, you're not into the protests. I've heard you say that before. You're kind of more insiders. But there is a thorough line of social justice that's germane to your work, is it not? You can't do art without having a social consciousness. Mm -hmm. So no art is without a social consciousness. There would be nothing to paint about, sing about, write about if there wasn't the theme of social inclusion, social justice. We are a, a social organization, and we like to say a racial justice organization mm -hmm. for some people, but we are essentially, we use art to achieve our messaging. I think the message is about the multiplicity of identity and the broad scope of black men can be done in many, many ways, right? Um, we, like the Harlem Renaissance and other movements around the country, uh, in Chicago, Afropoba, other movements have always used art to really f fully flesh out and bring forward uh, the idea of broad narratives for black men. We think of uh, painter Kahinde Wiley, the way he reframes and reshapes uh, black men and centers us Kehinde Wiley was also the gentleman who painted Barack Obama's official portrait. That is correct. And so you're looking at me, so you now you want me to tell people that I, one, own his work, and two, uh, Mr. Wiley worked for me in San Francisco, California. Let me give some something that in this podcast that I haven't given before. 
The Brothers Network is in Philadelphia, founded in Philadelphia, but the fact of the matter is there was another Brothers Network, and Chris, I've been waiting to share this with you because I never shared it with you. I adopted the name from an organization that I worked in in San Francisco, California, in the early, uh, in, in the 90s, in the early 90s. And that organization, the Brothers Network, did something completely different. It was uh, an HIV prevention education organization, but I loved that name, the Brothers Network, this idea of people coming together as a network to build community, and I really loved it. So I called up the founder of that Brothers Network and asked if I could graciously use his name. He had moved on to live and work in the Netherlands, and he would said he was honored that I would carry that name forward, and I described that we were not an HIV organization at all, but that we were using art to change and tell the story of black men. The irony is that um, when I was doing prevention education work, I brought in Kehinde Wiley to come and work for me to do uh, art programs with, with young black men. So that's how I got to meet Mr. Wiley. He worked for me for a couple of months and uh, I believed in his talent uh, as a young student at that time. And uh, I was able to secure some work uh, for, from him because I knew he would be go on to be the great talent that he is. And I think our work, uh, is similar. Mm. I think that framing and naming uh, the authenticity of black men and really not only today but in a historical perspective as well. So again that infusion of art is critical uh, in, in the Brothers Network. We are the brothersnetwork.arts because we're an art organization and we want that always to remain clear. Uh, we're not interested in social protests um, outside of the theater, outside of the canvas. We let other people do that who are much better at it than we are. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to 2008. You, you come here, you see black men in particular not engaged on the avenue of the arts. Is that when you say, okay, I want to be a mitigating factor in that, and so let me start aggregating the black men who I do see and, and pique their interest? How, how did it come together in saying, okay, I, I identified the problem, now here, here I want to go with a solution? I'd like to tell you that I was that savvy and that forward thinking. The fact of the matter is I was lonely. Mm. I was lonely. And I sought out uh, the community and the idea that I wanted to have and I knew that was possible, not only here in Philadelphia but in other cities around the country where people come together around the arts and share a common uh, connectedness. And I was correct in my assumption that there were other people who wanted to come together. We originally started as a book club. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like to tell that story because that's important. We started out with this idea of reading and information and knowledge. And that's still what we do today. So the, the Brothers Network's first event was a book, like just a book club, picking a book and then coming together and reading it. We read James Baldwin's books. Absolutely. That's exactly what we and did. who's James Baldwin? <laughs> Again, Chris has funny jokes because he's actually making fun of me, ladies and gentlemen, because as I went on to do this work in the, in the last 10 years, I'd say James Baldwin to people, and people would ask me who James Baldwin is. That, Alex Baldwin's brother. Is that Alex Baldwin's brother, right? <laughs> so these kinds of painful experiences really continue to fuel me, right? Why, you, why is it a painful experience? Well, I, I live in a world where I believed falsely I'll put it out there that people would know who James Baldwin is. The irony is that individual who said it to me was one, a black man, and mm. two, an English major. So mm. we had gone through four years of college and did not know who James Baldwin was, mm. the writer, essayist, thinker. Now, when you hear somebody like me who, you know, went to Philadelphia Public School, but even in that, was in mentally gifted programs, had access to music and arts, and never learned about James Baldwin until I was well out of high school, you know, went through 12 years of school system and never heard of his name. I mean, is that a normal experience that you have come to see when you meet other people that you, that you didn't think was normal? 
I don't want to put the school, the Philadelphia school system <laughs> under the bus. As I say that, a school bus rolls by, so I'm not going to throw them under the bus. I'm going to say I think that knowledge is power. And I think that if one is not knowledgeable, one can probably be less powerful, right? If there's an intentionality not to inform and engage and excite learning and history and humanities in our society, I think that leaves a society uh, bereft of ideas and ideals. Mm -hmm. uh, and now more than ever, we see that happening all over this particular country, not just in Philadelphia, but we see a, a, a non-educated, uh, informed society sometimes is not able to make the best and most practical and powerful decisions that it can. So mm -hmm. I, I'm not suggesting that uh, any one school system or any one school is is better or worse, but I'm saying that I think we have a responsibility for the society to, to operate uh, where we're educating as many citizens and residents as we can. Uh, we see the Brothers Network very clearly. That's why we're so heavy on academics uh, on our advisory board, our national advisory board, because we see ourselves as an organization that's an educational organization. Uh, and again, when you're framed with, with blackness, uh, sometimes people think those two things are incongruent, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I'd like to share with you today and why the Brothers Network exists 10 years into it is because when I wrote our first grant proposal, I wrote our first grant proposal to the Delaware Valley Legacy Fund to fund the book club um, because they were interested in racial equity initiatives using the arts and culture to do that. Again, the person who was making the decision about whether or not we'd get the grant said it was a good idea, black men getting, to rather, getting together to read and discuss books by black authors, but she also told me that it would never work because mm. black men don't read. Mm. So here's a white woman sitting across from the table from me, and she says the audacity, as the audacity to say to me, that black men don't read. So she completely negated James Baldwin, W.E.B. Du Bois, and hundreds of thousands of other people uh, from the beginning of time. Why do you think she thought that? Why, why do you think that was her reaction? Patri patriarchy um, is, is a powerful thing, and limited exposure to, uh, to the world at large. Um, I think that people, she had not heard of James Baldwin as well, right? Mm -hmm. So she didn't know he existed or W.E.B. Du Bois. They, they don't know. I like to be a little bit funny. Someone thought W.E.B. Du Bois, Web Du Bois, was a French website. I got, I got them all day, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> W.E.B. Du Bois, a French website. Mm. You know, so it's this kind of, uh, I'll say it, ignorance that continues to fuel me to run an educational organization and continue to inform, enlighten, and engage the larger community, right? Not just black men, but the larger community about the possibility of possibilities. Um, I, I, I say those things because they're important. Um, you know, people say, oh, you know, uh, you know, you're a bougie organization, and we appreciate that because if we read and that's bougie, we'll take it. If we're engaged in intellectual discourse and dialogue, we'll take it. Because that's really who we are at the core, and that's who we've always been. Well, let me just respond to that, because I think, because I've heard, and, and I'm glad that you went there, because I was curious, I was going to go to what the criticism has been over the years, but when people say it's bougie, I mean, what they're really saying, to some, to some extent, is that that's not how they understand blackness. They don't understand blackness to be avenue of the arts, high, high art, high culture, you know, scholarly, you know, literature... Uh, you know, fine dining. I mean, do you do concede to some level that there are people who have pigeonholed blackness into one type, right? They've, they've made it a kind of a myopic, you know, what is the word, monolithic type of experience. 
I don't know where they got their credentials to do that, mm-hmm. right? I've said this before. You can be white and love ice hockey. You can be white and love mm. the opera. You can be white and love something we have here, the Mummers Parade. Mm. You can be white and be uh, a mass killer. You still get your whiteness. Mm. You still get your whiteness. You know? So our tagline is black beyond boundaries, mm. right? Black is boundless, right? We can and have and continue to do every, everything that is possible. I'm, I'm thinking about uh, someone who was black and they win an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. It's possible. John Legend. Mm-hmm. Legendary, named appropriately. It's called an EGOT, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is, this is just, you know, and, and had there not been racism in this country, right, we would have more black men, I would argue, who, who would have EGOTs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and more Emmys and more Tonys and more Oscars and, and really be celebrated, right? And also, we have to go to the parents, right? I'm going to go there. So if your child is sitting around coloring and drawing and, and he's a boy and you want him to play basketball, let him color, mm-hmm. let him draw. Because maybe he's our next artist. Maybe he's our next Kahinde Wiley, right? Not everybody can be in the NBA, mm-hmm. right? It's easier to be a doctor than it is to be in the NBA. It's easier to be a medical doctor than be in the NBA. Mm. So if your child is jumping and flipping and being, you know, maybe he's our next swimmer or gymnast who's an Olympic gold medalist. So we have to move beyond these bounds that we have, some of us in some urban communities. And I in no way want to sound like Bill Cosby, the old Bill Cosby. But we really have to look at the multiplicity of identity and acknowledge greatness whenever we see it, however we see it, and be inclusive um, mm-hmm. of that and, and what the possibilities are. You mentioned Barack Obama, and I think having a, an American parent and an African parent allowed him the limit to, uh, to be unlimited in how he saw himself, right? The Brothers Network is a reflection of what the possibilities are for everyone, and more importantly, a reflection of the possibilities for people who perhaps are not black men to see that black men can be athletes or astronauts. Mm. Well, talk to me a little bit about your upbringing. Talk about your parents in, in Connecticut. You weren't from Philadelphia. I know that your father was a restaurateur and an entrepreneur. Was, I mean, among that, what were the other inspirations that you draw from your childhood that informed the work that you're doing today? My maternal grandfather was also a, a, a store owner, as is my paternal grandfather was a store owner. So I'm a third generation entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. that is the experience that I draw from internally. Um, so even in a nonprofit, you consider yourself an entrepreneur? There's no question about it. In fact, probably more of an entrepreneur than someone who works <laughs> for a for-profit, mm-hmm. right? Because this is about love, right? There, there's been a big paycheck at the end of the week. There are no mm-hmm. days off. There's no sick time, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, if I'm not here making it happen, it doesn't happen. I don't get a paid vacation. Uh, that does not happen when you work in a, in a nonprofit and one that you start and found. You work mm. every day from sun up to sundown. I like to say I'm a descendant of free slaves, and you know my father worked all the time. So uh, I, I don't know any other way. And that hard work, and thank you, Dad, for doing it and showing me the way. What is the possi- What's possible with hard work and intelligence? Uh, we wouldn't be here. So many nonprofits started in 2008, and they're gone. And I say that proudly and boldly. So many. Start- we've talked about that. Like some that we've seen just in 2013 are no longer. I mean, it, it is about productivity, not activity, ladies and gentlemen. It is about productivity, and the ideas that you see come forward with the help of the individuals like yourselves who are listening, who support those ideas, are are the ideas that have moved uh, civic engagement forward. Mm. In, in this city and, and beyond this city. So I, I stand very proudly on the 10 years um, that the Brothers Network has achieved in, in a city where it is very difficult to found and sustain and maintain and scale 
almost anything, mm. right? Um, and Except I, corruption. No comment, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, no comment. No comment. Uh, we've had many award ceremonies. We've awarded the same kinds of awards that we're giving today. And those are awards about innovation, right? When we think about innovation, we think about Chris Norris, who founded his own uh, company as a young man. We think about uh, Dice Raw, who is from Philly and who's also getting an award from us on the 12th. It's around innovation. This is a young man who uh, did go to Philadelphia Public Schools and wrote all the songs, many songs, for The Roots, and then has his own career separate and apart from that. Um, and, and we think about uh, Evan Tenome, who runs a coffee shop that he founded, the idea of making coffee and serving it, even in the height of Starbucks mania. And that coffee is wonderful and good, and he has his shop, and he slowly expands because people don't want to get the market saturated with one product or another. They want to really enjoy the aesthetics of uh, the, the product. And I think that b both uh, Evan and, and uh, Dice and obviously Chris, they understand people like mm -hmm. the Brothers Network understands people. And we understand innovation, we understand hard work, and we understand being steadfast in our mission and our vision to make sure that those things come to life for not ourselves, right, but for people around us, the greater society. And that's the difference between a for-profit and a non-profit. I'm interested in our society being better. I'm interested in people leaving an experience for the Brothers Network and thinking differently than they did perhaps when they came the first time. We would not be here on our 10th anniversary is it were not for the people who continuously show up at our events and programs and experiences and like it and feel affirmed and also think differently when they arrive than when they when they leave right mm -hmm. so the plays we have produced the events we have produced uh, the programs that we have put up our partnerships with almost every major institution in the city of philadelphia amplifying black art and artistry and art making we are so incredibly proud of that what's been the highlight of the, the, the last 10 years i mean you've you produced hands up which was a very social justice-esque play, very much in the, the, the spirit of Black Lives Matter. You've worked with the Philadelphia Theater Company on several productions and audience, uh, and audience development. You just recently did, uh, early this year, Waiting for Godot with the Quintessent Theater. I mean, how'd you go from a book club to working and producing theater and, 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 and developing audiences from theater? And which, what has been the most rewarding, if there's been one? So my partnership with the Philadelphia Theater Company, our partnership, was when we got to partner on, on August Wilson play and I thought that was the ultimate and that was uh, seven years ago I thought well this is it I'm finished. we don't need to explain August Wilson do we <laughs> I think we should I'm sorry uh, August Wilson is the greatest American playwright by many he uh, for many years was at Yale New Haven uh, with the Yale Repertory Theater and has written a 10-year uh, uh, cycle over the decades 10-year play cycle uh, about chronicling uh, African-American life um, primarily in, in Pittsburgh, just a little bit outside of Philadelphia. Uh, so really the greatest American playwright. And if you haven't seen an August Wilson play, I encourage you to do it. Fences but with Dennis, Denzel Washington was the most recent of his work to, to be in the mainstream uh, in American culture. So for people who are thinking, oh yeah, Fences, I remember Fences, that was August Wilson. Uh, the play that we got to partner with the uh, Philadelphia Theater Company with was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm -hmm. And why that was pivotal for me was because I had seen Ma Rainey's... And what year was this? Uh, you're going to make me work really hard. So 7 minus 2018, I have to do math. So 2011, we partnered mm -hmm. with the Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia Theater Company. And I had seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Broadway 
in New York City. Mm. And I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing play on Broadway, written by uh, uh, written by by August Wilson. And at the time, I was a young man. I saw it in the '80s, and I thought, "What the heck is that about?" Mm. Right? It was just like boys in the band. I didn't get it, right? Because I had not had the lived experience of being a black man in America. And then over time, over the last 20 plus years, I started to really understand what that was about and the experiences of, quote, the boys in the band and how that related to Ma Rainey and who she was and why she was important and she was a real person and what her life was like and how, that, how she was pivotal in her own right as, a, as an African-American woman who was a singer and that genre at that time and so important. And so my history changed and my life changed. And so I had a greater understanding of uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and those stories that were being told within the context of that play of the individual musicians and so I thought well this is the ultimate right I mm. had an opportunity to partner with the Philadelphia Theatre Company on doing audience development for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and then Terrell Alvin McCraney crossed my path and we produced Terrell Alvin McCraney's work three different times long before he won his award for Moonlight uh, here on the stages of Philadelphia. So, so the, the gentleman who wrote Moonlight, which was widely acclaimed, you got a chance to work with him before he was thrust into the mainstream status. That is correct. We produced three of his shows here in Philadelphia starting back in 2010. Um, and again, these are professional productions, not at the church, no shade to the church, but these are professional productions uh, on the Avenue of the Arts and, and other places just off the Avenue of the Arts here in Philadelphia. So I thought, oh, okay, this, this, this is it, right? This, this is it. And, you know, did you know that he was going to go on to not go on to do Moonlight, but did you know that when you saw him, hey, this guy's got something special, he's going to be a big deal? Or did you just, you know, I mean, what were your initial thoughts when you, when you, when you saw his work and produced his work? I got chills up and down my spine because I'm going to say it. I usually don't say it. But I would say that as the creative director of the Brothers Network, and prior to this, I have a knack for picking out genius, right? I did it with, with, with Kehinde Wiley. I say it, ladies and gentlemen. I said, you're going to be very famous, brother. I had uh, been introduced to Terrell Alvin McCraney's work through someone else. I said, this brother is going far. This work is substantial. This makes sense. This speaks to where we are. And I would even say that I even did it with Chris Norris because he's gotten a brother, a Brothers Network award before. We're giving him another one. He's, we're giving him another one. So uh, now some may argue with me, and that's okay. I'd be happy to hear it. But uh, yeah, I think that the curatorial process and the creative process and the creative genius and the tactic that I bring forward in my work uh, is God-given, obviously, and even the selection of my board members, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, from Cosmo White, one of the most prolific artists today, Beate Roth-Smith, uh, again, another contemporary artist doing amazing things, not only in this country, but around the world. These are the people who inform me and keep me and keep the Brothers Network vibrant, mm -hmm. not only in Philadelphia, but in the other places in which we live, work, and play. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is the idea of keeping uh, Black Beyond Boundaries, this idea of brilliance, is one that we bring forward. Mm -hmm. uh, to be involved with the Brothers Network, all we ask is that you're interested in intellectual discourse and dialogue and being open to new experiences that in fact change how you see yourself but also the larger society. And so consistently, that's what we've been able to do. I have two words for you. Coleman Domingo. <laughs> Tell me about him. You say Coleman, I say Domingo. You say Coleman, I say Domingo. A rap that we got to do uh, with Coleman Domingo. Excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. It's live, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm back. Uh, Coleman Domingo, I, I, I got to see one of his most amazing... Philadelphia-born. 
Philadelphia, born and raised. Um, and I got to see one of Coleman's works, uh, a play he wrote called A Boy in His Soul. It was at the Vineyard Theater in New York City. And again, this goes back to the curatorial aspect of me as the creative director of the Brothers Network. I saw the show, immediately fell in love with that show and said, we've got to bring that show and that man to Philadelphia. Mm. I saw him at the Vineyard Theater in New York. And I am so grateful that uh, the Brothers Network was able to do that. One, bring Coleman Domingo's show, A Boy in His Soul, to uh, Philadelphia some years back. Um, and more importantly, I got to ask this brother on stage, I put him on spot, which is my MO, if he would become a board member of the Brothers Network. Because I knew at that time he was not as big or as popular or as famous as he is now, that he was going to go places. Again, uh, a nod to my curatorial genius and expertise in identifying talent early on. And in his own right, he's a big star now. He was- he's done voiceover for cartoon on Netflix, BoJack Horseman on The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead is probably what he's most famous for. He has a show on Broadway that is, is happening now. He's in almost every major film. Uh, he's worked with some of the greatest and will continue to work with the great folks. He was uh, in Selma, right? In, in Selma, that's exactly right. He was in Lincoln as mm-hmm. well. Uh, the first person you see in Lincoln is, 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 is him. Um, and, and again, he has current work that is modern. And what we uh, connect with, uh, he, he and I, Coleman and I, is that he wants to do work that is informative and engages the community, right? He's in a new uh, James Baldwin uh, piece, and we're very excited about that, with a director from, from uh, Black Boys Look Blue in the Moonlight, from Moonlight. Mm. Uh, so we're very excited about the future of that, and excited about his work, but also his commitment to informing and engaging through his artistry mm-hmm. uh, what it is to be black and a man in our society. And, mm. and we love that. That's what we want everyone to see. We want everyone to be involved with. Um, and so that's what we celebrate. Yeah. So this Friday, no, excuse me, next Friday, the 12th of October, it will be the big celebration. We'll be at the Cambria Hotel. You're going to have a rooftop uh, five-star dining experience. It's and five courses, and it is five-star. Chris says it's five-star. <laughs> and then you're going to be doing, you know, back into the vein of plays, working with the Philadelphia Theater Company. You're going to be kicking off their premiere, their premiere season uh, for correct. the fall. That's Tell me correct. about the, sh- the show that's going to be, uh, well, I should say the play that's showing. The play is a play called Sweat by Lynn Nottage. The play previously was on Broadway. Um, And it really is more, uh, you talk about uh, the politics or the social justice aspect. It's about what's happening right now. And it takes place um, in, in Pennsylvania, in a small town in Pennsylvania. And it talks about what happens when the jobs shift and the jobs change in this era of Trump and who gets mm. to have work and who doesn't and what are the racial dynamics like in a small town or you know when one person maybe is or is not qualified for a position and those dynamics that are we're seeing right now in in our society where race is race is important but also this idea of economics and so this is the first time that we've gone after such a such a I think um, almost political play Mm -hmm. um, and and looking at these ideas of social justice in the framework. Uh, Post-play, we'll have a discussion with the play's director, who is an African-American man, so we're very excited about that. And we'll finish up uh, the fifth course back up at the rooftop of the hotel Mm. at the Cambria, and we'll continue the dialogue with a little bit of... uh, uh, coffee and tea and conversation. I just want to say that the, what's unique about this particular five-course dinner is that we're featuring black food, right? Black-colored food, organically black-colored food. So think mussels, mm. think black rice, think black truffle oil, because we again want to play with our theme of black beyond boundaries, right? When we do that, and, and black salt as well, uh, obviously not every dish is going to be completely black, 
But we're going to talk about, when we say black food, we're not talking fried chicken and greens, y'all. We're talking, mm. you know, black truffle oil, right? We want to talk about mussels. We want to mm. talk about those things that we may consume on a regular basis, but not think about it. And we want people to consciously think about what they're eating and consuming. And it's all good for you as well. Um, so we're really excited about bringing those thematic uh, ideas into our 10th anniversary celebration. Chris Norris will be getting an award. Dice Raw will be getting an award. And we'll even have black coffee. And that coffee uh, <laughs> is, is going to be su- su- supplied by Evan uh, Intimome, who owns uh, the, the Elixir, Elixir Coffee Shop. So uh, I invite those who have not come out to a Brothers Network event to come out. Uh, you can do that by reaching us directly in our office at 267 three three four four eight nine seven we give the phone number because we're high touch we want to talk to you and engage you and ask you questions and have you do that you can also go to our website um, www.thebrothersnetwork.art uh, find out more information there but please feel free to call us and uh, again this is a fundraiser it's a nonprofit organization so your donation is tax deductible and we look forward to the opportunity to as welcome as many of you to the, not only this program but many of the programs that we're doing uh, over the next 10 years so again where can people get tickets what are the, uh, the, the, the starting price for tickets and again the evening will include a five star meal a show a talk back an award ceremony right that is correct and some fantastic food. Our suggested donation for the event is $200 per person. Okay. And they can do that again by calling directly 267-334-4897. We have on our website the link to We Did It, which is uh, playing on the theme that we did it. We made mm. it 10 years. Um, you can go to We Did It slash hashtag, uh, I'm sorry, the We Did It hashtag The Brothers Network, and you can make your donation there. Last question, you know. The, uh, looking at just the 10 years that you've done, what's your legacy? What do you think the legacy? I mean, of course, your work is not done, but if you just had to, you know, kind of encapsulate the last 10 years, what would you say has been the, the legacy of the work? The I was hoping you were going to offer me a lifetime achievement award. <laughs> uh, that's what I was hoping you were going to do, offer me a lifetime achievement award. The legacy <laughs> of the work is is to uh, have, quite frankly, to be blunt, uh, some, some graduate student or some other person who's interested in Philadelphia history go back and look at the work that the Brothers Network has done in 20, 30, or 40 years and recognize the pivotal, pivotal I can't even say it, pivotal movement mm. of the Brothers Network. Mm-hmm. No one else in the country is doing what we're doing. People talk about narrative change, but they don't have the, the- theory of change that we're offering using the arts. The, so the, you're not, you don't think you're just unique, your unique value proposition is local. You think from the nationwide perspective, the Brothers Network holds a, a unique value proposition in the country. My board has given me the title of Global Creative Director. Mm-hmm. So it is not Philadelphia exclusively. Started in Philly, but has a, has a, a, a national and global impact. Mm-hmm. Right? We had the pleasure of expanding our work and programs into Paris, France last year. Mm. Right? Because people resonate with the idea of this idea of black people in art and in culture and being engaged in in discourse and conversation. We live in the digital age and we're still talking. Mm. That's why we give the phone number because we want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you have to say. And more importantly, we want to share our messaging with you in a one-on-one way, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone else, right, is going towards everything digital, data analytics, right? We meet people every day in the streets of Philadelphia, in Paris, in Chicago, in San Francisco, all of the places that we work in Texas who say, I'm really into that. I want to come and sit in a coffee shop and have a conversation about a book. Mm-hmm. Right? Tommy Curry, who is on our board, our recent edition, just won a book award 
for his book, Man Not. And that book is about what it's like to be a black man in America. More importantly, the book is the theoretical framework to establish a university major in the black man, right? Mm. We have women's studies, we have LGBT studies, but we, we have African-American studies, but the black man is unique. Mm. And Tommy Curry makes the argument so effectively over and over and over, page after page, chapter after chapter, that we ought to have in this university system, in the college system, a major specifically around the African-American man. Mm. There's no question about it. We are so incredibly unique, so incredibly misjudged, it goes back to Baldwin, it goes back to Du Bois, and we infuse all of that in our W.E.B. Du Bois and James Baldwin, I don't want to use names that you may right. not know, and, and Tommy E. Curry talks about that. This is what's important for us, to look at the multiplicity of identity and how we show up in the world, what we've done historically, and what we will continue to do in the future. One more time, give the website for people who want to check it out, want to buy tickets today. I'll give the phone number first, because we're high touch, 267 334 4897. The website www.thebrothersnetwork.art, A R T. And I'll give uh, my direct email because that may be easier for people to email it directly Gregory T. Walker at gmail.com. That's G R E G O R Y. The letter T is in terrific. Walker, W A L K E R at gmail.com. Well, thank you, Gregory, for taking the time out to talk to me. Congratulations on 10 years of high art, high culture, and experiences around theater. Uh, and for you, our listeners, I hope that you guys definitely take uh, un- this under consideration and uh, opt to experience the Brothers Network on October 12th. Uh, that's next Friday. And again, it, be- it begins with a five-course meal uh, at a rooftop dining experience on the new Cab- Cambria Hotel in the Avenue of the Arts. And uh, you'll be helping to kick off the Philadelphia Theater Company's uh, fall season uh, with the show Sweat, uh, which will also include a talk back. And I assume, Gregory, you'll be moderating the talk back. Well, Chris, you make me work so hard. Yes, I'm going to do it. That's what happens in the creative director. You have to do the talk backs as well. So I'm excited to do that. Absolutely. So um, that'll be it for this session. Um, I look forward to seeing you guys October 12th on the Avenue of the Arts. Until next time, I'm Flood the Drummer, and I'm drumming for justice.